Okay, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8 as we look at the um, verses beginning with 23 through 27. I'll be reading those just prior to it, 18 through 22 with it, but uh, we're going to primarily be looking at the verses 23 through 27. As you're turning in your Bibles, let me also say that at the end, uh, tonight, this evening, at our evening service, we'll be having Tim, who will be uh, uh, delivering uh, some, his message, his mission trip that he went uh, on with the Gideons and uh, doing some videos uh, or some uh, slides or whatever, uh, however he wants to work it, but he'll be bringing that, and so he'll be doing that this evening, and I'll let him share right at the end. But I wanted to get that in before I forgot it. Okay. As we look in Matthew. You remember last week. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him. He gave orders to depart to the other side. And a certain scribe came and said to him. Teacher I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him. The foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of the disciples said to him, probably hearing him say that and how, stri how strong he was about that, he said, well, Lord, uh, I want to be one of your disciples, but permit me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. And then we come to this verse. And when he had gotten to the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm in the sea so that the boat was covered with waves. But he himself was asleep. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you timid, you men of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds of the sea, and it became perfectly calm. And the men marveled, saying, What kind of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for this time. I want to thank you for this group of people here this morning. And I want to thank you for being with us and for being um, here to be glorified in all that we say and do. And I just pray that we'll do that throughout the worship, that we'll lift you up. It's all about you. I pray that your grace and its sufficiency will be felt throughout this service, that you um, will speak to our hearts and with your authority deal with our lives the way that they ought to be dealt with. And I pray that, um, Lord, through our challenge, through our conviction, through our encouragement, through our teaching, whatever it might be, that uh, we will make the decision that you would have us to make, that we would be obedient to you. And, Lord, that we would move forward in the ministry that you have for us uh, here at Forest Heights Baptist Church. So challenge us, Lord. Convict us, encourage us, teach us, show us what you would have us to do. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Authority. That's one word I want you to remember. Authority. It's not a pleasant word for our society today. Our society does not like to hear that. They don't like to speak about authority. Or those in authority. And so often they want to think that everyone, they say we are all created equal or we're all made equal we're 
uh, you know, we have our rights, and they want to do with do away with any role that God has ordained. And uh, we need to be careful about that, and especially the authority of God Himself. Some, you know, we we come to this uh, passage about the disciples and and uh, teaching disciples what discipleship meant, sharing with them, challenging them. Now they're going to the other side of the sea, Gentile country, and as they enter the boat, there is a storm that comes, and Jesus is asleep, and they wake him, and they say, save us, Lord, and, and so he calms the sea. Neat little story to tell the children, but there's more involved in that than we realize. You know, sometimes looking at this passage, I don't know about you, but I've seen it. We obey God, and it seems like the bottom falls out of everything. You ever been there? You obey God, you're doing what you believe He wants you to do, and then everything, everything seems to mess up. You may move to a new city. You may get a new job in that new city. One year later, your wife may have developed all kind of allergies and hates it there. And on top of that, your children hate it because they don't like the new school and it surely is reflected in their grades and their attitudes. But not only that, maybe you've moved there for, with a company and all of a sudden you get a, you, you know, you're trying to get adjusted, you're going through all of this and then your job folds. Maybe you're a family who has graciously brought in a relative and through that relative all kinds of things began to erupt in the marriage because of bringing them in and trying to take care of them. Maybe you have just found your loved one and you marry them. And the one of your dreams all of a sudden becomes the one of your enemy, your nightmares. You're constantly fighting, growing further and further apart. The marriage becomes a disaster. You know, we could go on and on and on with these stories, couldn't we? Many times we end up in despair and wonder why this has happened. God, I was just trying to be obedient. I was just doing this. What are you doing? What do you want me to do? Well, the disciples find themselves in a similar situation of despair and delusion. And before we go any further, we need to make sure that we understand the context of the passage. What is the key word that I've been talking about? Authority. Matthew has presented Jesus as the one who has the ultimate authority. He has taught them with authority. He has demonstrated his authority through miracles. He has let them know that to follow him, it won't always be fun and exciting and a showtime. 
To follow Jesus meant to follow him in obedience. Wherever and whenever he called them to go. It means following the authority of Christ. Knowing that he is the Lord of his kingdom. And I'm not talking about the millennial kingdom to come. But the Lord, he will be Lord of that when he comes back. But I'm talking about the spiritual kingdom now. The age of the church. And the cost of following Jesus would be high. His followers were to follow, be followers of motion. His kingdom involved urgency and immediacy. And when we follow Jesus, it doesn't mean just to sit back and do nothing, does it? It means to get out there and be actively involved doing the things that God would have us to do. It means having an active Bible study, personal Bible study. It means having a, an ongoing prayer time with the Lord. It means worshiping the Lord on a consistent basis. It means going out and sharing your faith whenever and wherever you are with others. It means doing the ministry of the Lord in the church. You see, to follow Jesus was to follow him on his terms and not on the disciples' terms. Not on our terms. Well, Lord, I, you know, if you'll allow me to go back and bury my father. In other words, I'll wait until he dies. I'll take care of the, you know, the, uh, the homestead and, and I'll get the inheritance. And then, uh, then when all that's covered, you know, maybe I can have somebody run it, but I'll have money to... Uh, to put us up in days in and all this, and you'll have some place to sleep, and, and I'll be back to help you out then. No, it means to follow him then. He wants disciples who will follow him when he's not promising anything. In other words, when he's not promising us miracles, when he's not promising us jobs, when he's not promising us that we will pull this marriage together because sometimes he gives us that choice and sometimes that, that spouse, whichever one it may be, decides to go their own way. All of this he wants us to realize. And he wants us following him on his terms. Now Jesus expects the disciples to follow him wherever he goes. And wherever he goes meant to across the Sea of Galilee. And though the Sea of Galilee is only five miles to seven miles wide and 13 miles long, it, its perils are considerable due to the u, unique geography there. The winds coming down from the hills and, and coming upon the, uh, the water at, at, at any time and, and a storm brewing at any time. And so we see that though the Sea of Galilee is only that amount of geography, we see also that, that there are life-threatening storms that currently occurred on that, that patch of water. And the miracles performed by Christ up to this point form a mighty testimony to Israel that her promised ruler had come. And that her, that her promises, Israel's promises, were in process of being fulfilled. 
And more specifically, this miracle illustrated, once again, Christ's unique authority. When it comes to authority, it is God who is the indispensable one. He is the one we must rely upon and learn to trust in. He is the one we must obey. He is the one we must follow. And in this passage, Christ has some important lessons for us to learn. But first of all, we see that the disciples obey Jesus. And as I said earlier, they find themselves in a life-threatening storm which fills them with despair. They obey Jesus. I mean, they obey him. We don't expect that a lot of times, do we? Lord, I'm just obeying you, but they find themselves in this life-threatening storm. And not thinking that it should occur or it would occur, they find themselves in despair, just like we do. Later in the ministry of Christ, Jesus will ask his disciples to cross the Sea of Galilee, but without him. And he goes to the mountain to rest and pray while they cross the sea. But this time, Jesus is with the disciples, physically. Jesus sets out with his disciples across the lake to arrive at the other side. And when he got into the boat, the disciples followed him. What had he said earlier? He said, we're going to the other side of the lake. And so they, uh, they had forgotten that. And, you know, right, it says in verse 14 of this chapter, and when Jesus had come to Peter, uh, Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law sick, lying in bed, and he touched her, and the fever left her, and she arose, waited on him, and when evening had come, they brought him many uh, who were possessed, demon-possessed, and he cast out spirits and healed all that were healed, in order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, he himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases and so in verse 18 now when Jesus saw a crowd around him he gave orders to depart to the other side so he had earlier told them after performing the miracle with Peter's mother-in-law that they were to go to the other side and Jesus sets out with his disciples to arrive at the other side he had had a very long day. People had been listening to him preach and perform miracles. And Jesus tells his disciples to go, and they go. So first of all, we see his disciples obeying. Jesus tells disciples to go to the other side of the lake. So they get into the boat. It might have been Peter and Andrew and John and James in there with him. And the other disciples in the other boat, and they start out for the other side. It is calm weather, it's not a storm. When they began the journey, and Jesus being tired from his activity, he went to the stern of the boat, used Donis's cushion, and laid his head on it, and went to sleep to rest his head. In Luke 8, 23, it says a storm came up, and the word there 
or the word used there for sailing, excuse me, was a pleo, which means to sail, suggesting that it might have been a sailboat instead of uh, a rowboat. And then Jesus goes back to whatever it was. He goes to the stern of the boat and he lays his head down and rests. This is a beautiful picture of uh, his authority. In Philippians 2, I mean of his humanity. In Philippians 2, 5 through 8, we have this attitude we're to have in ourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, hung on to, but he emptied himself. Taking the form of a bondservant, in other words, he poured himself into a man, and being made in the likeness of man, found in the appearance of it as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So this is a beautiful picture of that description that Paul brings out in Philippians chapter uh, 2 and that is of Christ in his humanity he's not only all divine but he's all man he made no uh, special preparations just entered the boat and went to the stern and fell fast asleep he was tired he wanted some R&R after all the activity that he had So they had obeyed the Lord. They were setting sail. They were out on the lake. But then they find themselves in a life-threatening storm. We read, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm. All of a sudden, a great whirlwind, as Mark and Luke say. But Matthew describes it as, He uses the Greek word seismos, which we, you know, uh, use to measure uh, uh, earthquakes and different things like that. And the word means earthquake. So it was a furious storm. And the whole creation seemed stirred and disturbed. So all of a sudden, they find themselves in this storm. It was calm to begin with. How many of our lives have experiencing have experienced storms like that? Amen. You know, we, we start out in, in, in marriage, don't we? Or we start out in life with our family. And then all of a sudden, storms come up. How about a job? Storms come up. It, everything starts out well, but then storms come up. And you think that you're doing what God wants you to do and the best to your knowledge and ability you are doing it, but storms come up. And some of them seem life-threatening. What happens then? Well, they obeyed. They find themselves in a life-threatening storm. Then the third thing is they're filled with fear and despair. The waves are breaking over the boat. And we see a great storm in the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. It was filling up. It depicts a gradual filling up with the water into the boat. 
I mean, they must have furiously, you know, uh, tried to keep the water from filling up the boat, but to no avail. So what do they do? What can we do in these situations? In a desperate situation, what do people do a lot of times? In that foxhole experience, or in that job situation where you're losing everything, or your finances are gone, or whatever, we see that for many people, they turn to Jesus. They may have been critical about him or they may have thought well you know I can work out this I won't bother them with that until they find out that they can't do it they've left left him out of the scenario until all of a sudden they're helpless so here are fishermen going to a carpenter why would they come to a carpenter because these fishermen abandon their own ability and experience for his aid they have tried everything they knew to do and it didn't work completely at the end of their resources in which they had always taken pride in which we as individuals always take pride in now they throw themselves upon Jesus who is their only hope he's the only one back there tell us what to do come help us they abandon all human help. The best of which they had in their own skill, they throw away. They throw themselves utterly into the divine hands of Jesus. Luke tells us, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And, and that's in a, a tense that is ongoing, present tense. In the act of perishing, we're perishing. They were helpless. Also, we see them using master, master, repeated, or teacher, teacher. And that is in a tense that expresses an emphatic situation, indicating the high emotion running through their cry. Mark addresses him with a rebuke. And he says, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? But Matthew, it's a more softened reply. Save us, Lord. We are perishing. It's more of a prayer. And so we have these varying expressions showing the difference here in their moods. The different moods of the people. And as we move along, we see that, that Jesus here is, is resting. And they're shaking him and, and trying to get him away. So do they not know that to be in the storm with him is, to be, is better than to be in a calm without him? They haven't found that out yet. And a lot of times we haven't found that out. A lot of times we don't find it out. We continue to try and work through it. Are we cry out for help, and then we don't learn the lesson. I know I've been there plenty of times. We are perishing. They had forgotten that he had said, let us go to the other side. He didn't say, let us go out and see, and I'm going to let you drown. He said, let's go to the other side. Also look at the way that they address the Lord Jesus. 
Matthew, as I said, Lord. Mark, teacher. Luke, he addresses him as master, master. In other words, teacher, teacher. So the several disciples were calling for help, therefore expressing their different emotions. And Matthew records him saying, Jesus, save us. Lord, we are perishing. In other words, a prayer-like plea. It implies their, their request was a desperate one. First, what did he do? First, what did they do? Well, Jesus was calm through it all. But the disciples like us, fear arose. And because of fear arising, they evidently did not understand, first of all, their mission. You know, when we let fear overtake us, we don't understand why we're here a lot of times, do we? We don't understand why Jesus has us doing what we need to do. And with that, the security, because he has called us out to do that, to be a father, to be a mother, to be a godly father, a godly mother, a godly businessman. To be a godly teacher or a member in the church. To be faithful in our witness. Lord, I'm afraid to witness. I, I fear those people that I'm about to share with. We forget that God has called us on that mission to share with other people. He's given us that security. That he's with us and will protect us. With the calling that he has called us to do. Until that's over with. Until he's... Uh, finished with the mission here and he's ready to take us home a lot of people wonder well how can they go to a foreign country that's so uh, evil and and so corrupt and and uh, so dangerous I'm not going to let my child be a missionary because they may get killed in another country that child has a calling from God well God will protect them won't until it's time for him to allow them to come home and he's through with that mission it may be being through with that mission and coming back home from foreign mission field and serving here or it may be risking your life over there but don't we do the same a lot of times we don't know what tomorrow may bring you don't know what might happen to you when you're out on the streets I I can recall when, when uh, witnessing in, in Dallas, Texas, and we'd go down on the streets. And I remember late one night as, uh, uh, after service and uh, at, on Wednesday night, and I was uh, sharing the gospel and talking with some people about Jesus. And I remember all of a sudden I talked with this one person on one street and started talking to him about Jesus, and I guess the gang members thought that I was hemming that person in and I was trying to do something or, or I was a policeman or whatever and so uh, they may have been doing drugs, whoever, whatever, I don't know. But they came and surrounded me. And I got a little, you know, uh, fearful, I guess you'd say, as I looked around and I knew that... Uh, Probably couldn't fight my way out, and I probably couldn't outrun every one of them. 
And so I just stopped, and the guy took over and said, that's okay, guys. We're just talking. And so they left. You see, we, we, we can experience it here. We never know what's going to happen. And so what they had to learn was that Jesus was going to be with them. And that's a hard lesson to learn. We know he's with them. We know he's with us. But we don't always know the outcome. And we think that we can stop everything. And we forget that God's in control. One of the best lessons that we'll learn as far as God's in control is family. When you have children, you have control over them when they're in your house, don't you? Pretty much so. They may get in trouble, but boy, they face the consequences. One of the hardest things to do is to know really that you don't have that much control over them. You've got, you've got to teach them and let them know that, that you are the parent. But one day, you've got to let them go. And they make the choices on their own. And you pray that they'll make the right choices. But they don't always do that, do they? So, you've got to trust God. You, you realize that Christ is the ultimate authority. And you just trust Him. No matter what the situation. It may not, you know, like I said earlier, without making promises, you trust God and follow him. And so the second thing is uh, that meant that they did not understand his authority. That he's the one that's ultimately in control. And we're just to obey. And that's not always easy. Matter of fact, it's not easy a lot of times. And you just do the things and you do them praying about them and you hope and pray that they're in the right way that you're doing them. And you follow through in your heart, you hope is right. And that's when you really have to trust God. They did not have enough awareness of Jesus' power to know that he could help them. So the first thing is they obey him. Second thing, Jesus rebukes the disciples and then rebukes the storm. Look in Matthew 8, 23. Or, um, yeah, Matthew 8, 20, uh, 26, excuse me. It says, And he said to them, Why are you timid, you men of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. Jesus awakes not to the storm, and that's very important, but to the disciples' appeal. The storm had made the circumstances seem out of control with the disciples. The disciples in desperation wake Jesus asking him for help. You see, the storm did not awaken Jesus. What awakens him were the appeals of the disciples. That lets us know that Jesus always knows what's going on in our hearts and our lives. He cares for us. What a difference it makes to know that we have a, a Lord who's not being mean or cruel or, or playing jokes on us, but a Lord who cares for us. And 
in 1 Peter 3.12 it says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and the ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Then Jesus rebukes the storm. And we see that when the storms were rebuked, what happened? The words there describe putting, uh, putting a, a muzzle on the mouth and saying, hush! And it became calm. And then he challenges the disciples to have more trust in his power. Matthew has a descriptive picture of how Jesus expresses himself. And how he, ex he expresses uh, a picture of them too. He says, why are you so fearful? In other words, you should have known that I would take care of you. Why are you so timid? Why are you acting this way? How could the boat sink when the hope of the world was traveling in it? Paul tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the faith that cures fear is derived from the word of God. In other words, they should have listened to the Lord and we need to learn to listen to him and respond accordingly also. The, responses, the response of the disciples was, and the men marveled, saying, What kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? They became very much afraid, Mark says. In other words, the reactions of the miracle was in awe and wonder. They began to see the authority that he had. I mean, really began to see it. Matthew notes their astonishment. The disciples did not run from him, but now they looked upon him with the greatest awe. They recognized that Jesus had authority over nature. And they were beginning to understand his authority as being unique. Let me just share with you some lessons very quickly. I've already mentioned this, so I won't go into detail. Sometimes we obey God and we find ourselves in difficult situations. And those difficult situations, if we're not careful, will fill us with despair. We all face storms in our life. They may be storms dealing with family problems. They may be storms that deal with relationships that go sour. They may be storms that develop at work. They may be financial storms. They may be storms of sickness. They may be storms of temptation. Storms come our way. Some storms come because of disobedience, but other storms come because of obedience. Second of all, storms many times come because of our security being threatened. Their boat ride was threatened. Circumstances controlled their belief. The disciples let the problem negate God's promises. The disciples determined what they believed by what they were going through. How many do we, how many of us, we do that so often, don't we? We determine what we believe by what we're going through. The disciples measured the love of Christ by the amount of water in the boat. Lord, aren't you concerned? They cried, do you not care? Oftentimes, 
We feel the same way, and it determines our deep feelings of the abandonment by God, we think, when life overwhelms us. We need to learn to trust him with his authority at that time. He hasn't abandoned us. And then third, the calm of the storm symbolizes the inner calm we can experience when we rely on Jesus, love, and his word, and his authority. But for this to happen, we need to change our wrong belief by receiving a correct perspective. And that's not always easy because circumstances seem so great in our eyes that we don't see God in what he's doing or try to see God in what he's doing. Jesus' rebuke to the disciples reminded them that they needed to trust him even when life's storms intensify. And I want to tell you, I feel for every one of you, and I hope you feel for me, because when storms come and they intensify, it's not easy, is it? It's not easy. But he wants us to trust him. When our perspective is changed, then we can experience a new source of control, but not until our perspective is changed. A new authority. The disciples finally realized who Jesus was in the sense of having this authority over nature. They were in awe. For this to happen, their self-sufficiency had to be released. They had to be broken. They needed to be broken of what it was that was keeping them from God. A lot of things keep us from God. We are people who want to work things out ourselves. To be in control of things. You and I both. They needed to realize Jesus as their sole provision for getting them through the storm. And that's not always easy. They needed to concentrate on him. And let life's circumstances quit confusing and distracting them. Since storms of life are inescapable, We need to realize to successfully face them, we must have a proper perspective. Viewing them through the eyes of God, realizing that God is always in control of things and has authority over all things, even our storms of life when they seem to be out of control. Let's bow our heads in prayer.